Hello, listeners. We invite you to sharpen your swords and your minds and join hosts Sam and Clay each week as they delve into the historical context, leadership, and tactics surrounding significant battles and campaigns throughout time. Welcome, Welcome to, to the, the Art of War. War. All right, everybody. This is uh, Sam. And I'm Clay. And this is the Art of War. This is a, a podcast where we're going to be going over important battles throughout history. And the first one we chose to do uh, is the Battle of Granicus. It's it's one of the most important battles of the campaign into Persia, led by Alexander the Great right after he had just taken power. And this was in you know 330, 334 BC, two years, just two years after he had taken power and his father had been assassinated. And he was... 20, I think he was, what was he, what was he, 20 years old? Yeah, he had old? to be in his 20s, man. He's he's just a young I, kid yeah, I think at this he point. Was, I think he was 22 at the point. And so he was, you know, his dad had just died. And he's he'd been being trained his entire life to be, become the next king. But he gets thrown into it out of nowhere, just just picked up because his father gets assassinated. Nobody's yeah, his, expecting his dad was assassinated, I believe. Yeah, and there's there's a whole circumstance behind that whole interesting story about how people believe that it was his mom because his... His mom, right after the uh, assassin was caught and killed, she threw a celebration for him. And then where his grave was placed was at a very, a very nice location for someone who was an assassin, right? And then he all, she also constructed a large statue, a tumulus, over his grave to celebrate his life, which kind of, kind of makes you makes you assume that she might have yeah. been, you know, in with the assassin. I mean, so, I feel like that could definitely be a drama movie right there, right? Yeah. Just like a, a, a wife killing his their rich husband and then taking yeah. all the wealth and throwing a massive party, celebrating they, being single. Yeah, they kind. I think they kind of get into into that in the Alexander the movie. I don't. I don't remember, but there's that was a whole big thing in, in the movie at least. But I, they could probably done more with it. But uh, yeah, so he's he's I think twenty two, twenty four. And he's just taken power, and all these lords, because well, when it, when King Philip II was in power, he he was very ambitious, just like Alexander the Great, to conquer you know Persia, Asia Minor, Thrace, you know all of the the countries to the east of Greece and Macedonia, and he succeeded in conquering the vast majority of Thrace. And right after Alexander takes power, all of these uh, kingdoms that were once under King Philip, they start realizing like, hey, we maybe maybe this is a way we can get out. You know, usurp his his power and overthrow the Macedonian rule and and just escape from from control. So they all start rebelling all throughout Thrace. And Alexander, he's super ambitious, so his first idea is just let's go quell it. Let's immediately two years after he's taken power, he starts pushing into Thrace to quell these rebellions. And there's a you know there's a bunch of uh, historians that claim that the reason that the race was rebelling was because Persia was actually going to these these towns and saying like, hey, you guys should rebel. We're going to give you assistance. We're going to give you resources, weapons. And they were actually sending troops there to potentially, you know, assist in, in the uh, overthrow of Macedonian rule because they didn't, you know, they weren't down with Greece. Persia and Greece had never gotten along. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of wild, you know, how proxy wars have oh, been yeah. a thing for like since the beginning of wars. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, because it's like it's easier for you to invest in a country and give them resources than it is for you to actually stage an entire military conflict because it also results in their their stuff getting destroyed, not your stuff. 
Right, right. Plus, Persia at this time what is dealing with its own rebellion. Oh, yeah. It's it's trying to and quell. because their empire was gargantuan. They had the entirety of yeah, Asia, huge. Asia Minor, just all all throughout the the eastern continent they controlled. So yeah, they they were they were struggling in itself. They're kind of like the Roman Empire where they they had so many cultures that they had to control that it was it was difficult for them to keep them all intact. But yeah, so yeah, so he 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 decides let's go to Thrace. Let's let's go and quell these rebellions. So he goes, he quells all of it. They've they've decided okay he's he's a legitimate ruler all right we're gonna we're not we're not gonna stage a rebellion anymore and while he's there he gets the idea hey you know what maybe maybe he was inspired by knowledge that Persia was maybe you know leading a proxy war or maybe he just had extreme ambition and he decided let's just let's go let's go check out some uh, some Asia Minor some some of uh, Persia and and uh, may, maybe you know make some impact there maybe get a foothold take back. Take back the Macedonian cities, he called them, which were yeah. I love I love his rationalization. He <laughs> he wanted to get revenge for what Darius the first and Xerxes yeah, did, which was when like invading Macedonia, which was like one hundred and fifty years yeah, before he was yeah. born. <laughs> and then he he still he views them as as Greeks. He views them as Macedonians, which they they really haven't been for quite a period of time. And he also probably is trying to continue his his father's legacy by. Because his father wanted to uh, conquer Persia, but you know that's a task many people tried and failed miserably at. But he 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 thought, let's just let's go, you know, let's liberate these cities, which they weren't even asking for assistance. But he he needed yeah, liberate yeah, in quotation. <laughs> he needed marks. a reason to get into into Asia Minor and, and start a war. So yeah, he pushes in there with with his uh his advise advisor slash. Uh, a, a general he, he's kind of like he was he worked with alexander's father Par, parmenian was a general who worked with alexander's father king philip and becomes alexander's advisor and and his his chief general through the entire persian campaign so he he contacts parmenian he says hey because parmenian was out uh in eastern thrace quelling those rebellions and he says hey you go you go into persia and you set up you set up a a mock uh, encampment, a, a fort, a, a place for us to meet up to stage our military campaign, and that's when it all begins. He, he rallies all the troops in Thrace that he can get, all the Macedonian troops, some 30,000-plus mercenaries combined with Macedonian phalanx infantry, and they push into into Persia. Yeah, it's wild the amount of command he takes at such a young age, and he's just talking to this super experienced general and he's like yeah just you know take that army and move it over yeah, here I, and and the fact that when they're doing that he alexander takes some of his biggest bros his best friends and he goes to troy the ruins of troy which not aren't really ruins at this point it's like a bustling city but he goes to honor achilles which is basically superman back in the day here i just love how he like it just takes a little field trip on the way yeah, to yeah, to start a war legend. and honors his superman Oh yeah, I mean, all throughout the Persia campaign, all throughout the the Alexander the Great's conquering of the world, he does he does that stuff a lot. He he will stop in some city, chill out, get like three wives, and then he'll decide I'm not interested in this anymore, and he goes and takes another city. He goes and takes another city. Yeah, he just I guess it was probably a combination of you know he's so young because he he spent from his early twenties to you know pushing his thirties like a good part of his life just taking areas that his his culture and his people had never seen before can you imagine that like they they're going in pushing into the east into persia and they've heard of these 
these cities. They've heard of these different creatures like elephants and and tigers, but they've never really experienced them in the wild. They've never seen the environment, and then they're pushing through all this area that they've always heard about, and they're experiencing all. That's got to be crazy for somebody that's, you know, a king that just took power and and has so much ambition. It's got to be got to be yeah. very interesting for him to do. And so I think the reason that Parminian and the majority of the like the Macedonians rally behind him so so quickly is because he solidified his power when he quelled all the rebellions in Thrace. And then I guess the the best thing that he could have done at that time was to inspire them, which is what he was doing. He was inspiring everybody like let's let's go and take back, you know, the the Persian conquered Greece, the Greeks that have been taking control over by Xerxes and and Darius, and let's let's ensure that we can spread Macedonia to the rest of the world. So they probably they probably were buying into his his uh, ambitions as much as he was. Yeah, that's a good point. He was playing this off pretty strongly as like honoring Macedonia history and bringing back yeah. Macedonia's greatness. I, I know it's just because it, he he's. There's the the thing with him though is that there's the all the accounts we have of Alexander the Great are Alexander the Great's accounts. Like the majority of the history that's written down are from people that were in favor of him, and, and usually have a a good under like a good opinion of Alexander the Great. So in a lot of cases, we don't really know what he was actually like. Like we know that he was very ambitious and he was very very stubborn, but. Other than other than like his military conquests and his his battles, there's not really much on a personal level that we get about Alexander the Great. But the thing that also intrigues me the most about it is that at the time, whenever he was choosing to push into Persia, Macedonia was not they weren't like the equivalent of, you know, Rome or or uh, later Greece, like Hellenistic Greece. They were pretty poor they weren't extremely poor but they weren't they weren't a a country in contention to control the world right they were really tiny and they took a lot from greece but they weren't they were their own thing right so he decided to rally the almost entire standing army which was only like thirty thousand troops and person to persia which at at its its infancy you're like that's that's never going to work that why why is this financially you know just collapsing country trying to take on one of the largest empires that had ever existed at that time. Yeah, if this invasion failed, Macedonia would have been pretty much screwed. Oh yeah, Persia would have gone in there taken them over within a within a second and it's it's kind of it's interesting because he decides to do that on a whim. You know, it's not like he was sitting back at home with Parmenian deciding to do this. He was just in Thrace and he goes, "You know what? Let's go and take Persia." And maybe it was he was in, he was interested in in expanding Macedonia because they were so financially unstable, or maybe he just, once again, his ambition just uh, pushed him to get into into Persia yeah. and do something, make a name for himself. Because his father was a big conqueror in himself, so maybe he's trying to he's trying to solidify his own place as a as a piece in history. Yeah. Plus, they just had such a deep hate of the Persians, and the Persians just hated the Macedonians as well. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, he 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 decides. To go into Persia, and within a few months, he meets up with Parmenian right outside of this town called uh, Lampsicus, which was at one time a Greek town, but now was per- under Persian control. And he he goes he goes his first approach is, is to go to the gates and say, "Hey guys, we're here to liberate you. We're here to save you from Persian control." And they 
they're like, who is this guy? <laughs> like, what, 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 what is this guy talking about? We're fine. We're, we're happy where we are. Like, Persia's, it's I eight. Like, we don't, we don't need you guys to save us. And so he's, he's at first trying to go, you know, the, the nonviolent route, just, you know, maybe secure some, some, some assets by taking over this town, maybe a foothold in Persia. And they refuse. So then his, his initial inclination is like, let's siege the city. But, that doesn't work. You can't, especially whenever you're so financially unstable, you can't siege a city for months in a foreign territory when your entire standing army is with you and you have like no way to feed them. The, the path from Thrace to uh, Persia, they had to cross, cross the Hellespont. So you've got all these different reasons why it's difficult to get resources back and forth. So you can't do a siege. So he goes, all right, whatever. And they just, they just head out. They leave. And they're they're pushing deeper into Persia, and they're going to raid everything. They're they're trying to you know yeah take as much resources as they can. So they're going about taking city to city, and uh, then the Persians they 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 get wind of it, and so yeah. So in Persia, right, King Darius the Third, so named, starts hearing wind of this big Macedonian army that's kind of pushing on their borders, but he's pretty preoccupied with a lot of other stuff going on in his empire. Hmm. So he basically tasks Memnon of Rhodes, which is just a Greek mercenary general that somehow earned Darius the third's trust through a bunch of, I guess, really good campaigns. So he basically tasks this Greek mercenary. He's like, okay, you go take care of this army led by this young gun or whatever, and work with the, the local governors, which they're called what's satraps in per- ancient Persia. He's like, go work with these yeah. these governors. Go take care of this. And Memnon's like, cool, whatever. And so he, I, I love it because he just he goes, and Memnon's actually a really good general. He's he's very experienced, right? He's done had a lot of successes. So he goes to these local governors, and he's like, all right, guys, the easiest way to take care of this army. We know they're from Macedonia. They had to cross all the Hell's Pont to get here. They they don't have access to resources. Let's just burn and raise all of the fields and everything and then they won't have any food and they'll have to just retreat and that's probably right the best option they had oh yeah definitely but i think it's a little bit of you know the persian satraps were just like you know what we're not gonna listen to this greek guy we're not gonna let him boss us around i think there's a little bit of racism in there but also i guess we have to you know remember that at this time period Macedonia has been poor for like a really long time and Persia has been such a strong power that the, mm-hmm. to these local governors, they're like, this Macedonian army is not going to stand a chance against us if we meet them head on. And, and the interesting thing too is that there is so much distaste and hate between those two factions, the Persians, the Macedonians, the Greeks, that they probably also see it as an opportunity to okay, if we win this battle, that's their entire standing army. We're done with Macedonia. Like, we take control of Macedonia. It's as much as uh, Alexander, if he's victorious, he gets a bunch of Asian minor. They also see it as, if we're victorious, we get Thrace and we get Macedonia, right? Because that's that's almost the entire standing army of of Macedonia at the time. So they're, they're, they're thinking, yeah, what is this little army doing with all these ambitions? His father, who was this prolific general wasn't capable of taking persia he never even tried so what's this kid doing why don't let's go just stomp him in the field why would we why would we consider them a threat you know so they just ignore him yeah 
Yeah, they just think it's going to be an easy slap down. So they ignore Mimnon's suggestion and they're like, no, just gather up all of our forces and mm-hmm. let's let's go meet them and just crush them pretty much. Yep. And so then they actually picked like a pretty strategic place to set up, right? The the Granicus is this river yeah. that that Achille, or that um, Alexander had to cross with his army to get in over to the Persian territories and they just set up on the bank. Yep. And they have a good view. It's a it's there's not like much wooded area on either side, so they have a good view of the of Alexander's encampment. So if they were to you know, at nighttime, see that there was an attack being made, they'd be able to see them crossing the river, or they'd be able to see if they went back into the, in, in, back uh, towards the tree line, that they would be maybe going for a flank. So it was like, it was, it was a situation where the Macedonians had to make the first move, and it was always in the minds of the Persians a benefit for, for them to be waiting on that side of the embankment, because, you know, that they, they'll be able to uh, prepare for the first attack, that they're waiting for Alexander to make the first move. Right, right. So w- what does Alexander do in this situation? Yeah, no, that's the... the, the another thing is that we don't know exactly what went down because this the same narrative happens over and over and over and over again in almost every single battle uh, through the Persian campaign is that Parmenion says... They, get a, they sit down and have a council and Parmenion goes, hey, all right, so... My best advice, and also he's with his other generals, uh, like one of them, uh, what's his name? Cletus the Black. He, uh, they're all sitting around, they're going, okay, well, from our experience, because these are all, you know, people that served King Philip, they're saying, well, the best option is, let's go around at, next morning, let's encamp, because the troops have been on march, let's go around and flank them, because they, right now they're in the, the formidable position, and we want to meet them in the field, and we don't want to have to cross the river and, you know, have that that difficulty of getting all the troops across. And Alexander, being stubborn, as it's always told, he says, no, like, uh, we're here. Uh, let's attack. Let's just, let's go. So this, it's it's nighttime. It's pushing, it's pushing nighttime, and the Persians are all encamped. And he just decides to tell the troops, we're going, we're going right now. So he leads a cavalry unit of heavy heavy cavalry across the river, which the Persians were not expecting at all, and they they make landfall. They come they they come like surging towards the the Persians, and the Persians start readying their their troops again to formation. And at first, they're they're like terrified as what's what's occurring, but then they realize, oh, well, it's just a cavalry unit. Like this is not this is not beneficial to to Alexander. So they encircle the cavalry unit. They they get on all sides of them over a period of you know, 20 to 30 minutes of, of fighting and they're, they're pushing the, the cavalry denser and denser and denser. And it's looking pretty bad because they're the infantry, the heavy infantry, the phalanx, they're still crossing the river. Right. But the entire time the plan was that the, the, uh, heavy cavalry would be basically a vanguard to, to create space for the phalanx to come across because that's the main fighting force of Macedonians and majority of Greeks is the phalanx. The, the speared, very densely shielded heavy infantry. And and these are like sixteen foot spears. These things are monstrosities. Yeah, these. Yeah, that's that's the main fighting style that they employ, and they need those troops. That's essential. So the Persians have dedicated majority of their fighting forces on this cavalry unit, not paying attention to this the surge of troops coming across the Granicus, and they eventually all come across, and Alexander's. Uh, cavalry units still holding strong while this is occurring and they're able to get into formation which 
was a complete mistake from the Persians. They shouldn't have, have allowed that to occur in the first place. They should have either spent some troops on holding them, but ensured that nobody could cross the river. But you got to understand that they probably were not expecting this at all, right? This is not right. something that they would think that they're going to cross the river right as they just showed up and were going to make encampment. That's not usually how people would fight. But so they caught them completely off guard. Yeah, and, you know, I guess the whole charging across the river at night really goes into the confidence that's constantly displayed by Alexander the Great mm -hmm. in these old accounts, right? So supposedly in this battle, he was wearing this very uh, extravagant armor, had this giant plume on his helmet. Mm -hmm. And so he's basically peacocking on the Persians. And so the Persians, all of the, all of the commanders knew who Alexander was, and so they're like, that is Alexander. That's the dude we need to kill. And so when he charged his cavalry in there, he was met by some of the top commanders from the Persian force as well. And I don't know if this was a tactic from Alexander because he just was so confident. He knew that he could take down the commanders if they faced him head on. But um, it apparently worked because his cavalry met with the Persian cavalry and their um, their commanders in this standoff where they killed. I think he killed like three of the main commanders and they were stepbrothers to Darius III. And supposedly he did have a near-death experience but was saved by Clitus the Black. Um, but pretty much after cutting the head off of the Persian snake, so to speak, they ended up winning the majority of the battle against the Persian. Yeah. And, and the interesting thing, too, is that the main fighting force of the Persians were Persian slaves. That, that's a, a very common thing. They would, they would have uh, their, their main infantry was light, uh, lightly armed, lightly covered uh, slaves. But they also would employ Greek mercenaries, as Memnon himself was a Greek mercenary leader, a, a general. He would bring in his own... Uh, units and that was very common too for both sides they would recruit greek mercenaries that would go back and forth and fight for whichever side would pay the most and the funniest thing about this battle is is that uh when the phalanx comes across the the phalanx units come across and they meet the the main infantry and and alexander's cavalry starts to to disperse they hold for quite a while the both sides they're they're fighting because the Greek mercenaries are also fighting with phalanx uh, style, and right. the whole and they're they're very experienced. They're not they're not just slaves that were working in farms, and they were like, "All right, you got to go to war." No, these guys did war for a living. Mm -hmm. That's that's all they did, and so they they both sides fight fight or fighting with the same tactic, except for the the Persians who are are lightly armed and are are not as dense and not as defensive as the the phalanx. And Parmenian comes across. Uh, his plan was he he's leading his own cavalry unit. He he comes across the river and he flanks it and he he collapses into the back of the main Persian uh, infantry group and the Persians immediately rout. They're all gone. They go flying and they don't even lose that many soldiers. The Persians themselves because the instant that they see that they're in a not a favorable position, they just rout. They're gone. But the mercenaries, the Greek mercenaries on the Persian side, they hold. They're they're there for a while. Right. And they're actually at a point prior to the to the complete encirclement of them. They're actually pushing the Macedonian army back because the whole con the whole concept of phalanx versus phalanx is you hold strong and you just push each other. You shove and you mm -hmm. go you just go back and back. And they were these guys, they knew what they were doing. They were one of the more formidable forces. They were pushing them back. And then eventually 
you know, when you're completely surrounded and you can't defend all sides and you're exhausted, they eventually give up. And then, yeah. and then what yeah, happens so, to them? <laughs> these Greek mercenaries, they surrender. And, you know, pretty much if Alexander was like, okay, you guys want to join us? I, no doubt they would have said yes. They didn't have any allegiance to Persia. But um, for some reason, I guess, Alexander was just really peeved at them for some reason for not having an, an allegiance to Macedonia, even though it, it was not really united. So he just charges straight into the Greek mercenaries. He doesn't want to take any prisoners, and he just starts cutting through them. And then it actually ends up being much bloodier than the fight with the Persian forces, and they lose way more units just by fighting this Greek mercenary force than they did by fighting the Persians. And they ended up killing the majority of the Greek mercenaries, several several thousand, and then enslaving the rest. Yeah, no, he, he and you know, the, the also the interesting thing about uh, Alexander in this fight is that Alexander actually knew Memnon. They were, I wouldn't say that they were family friends, but his, Memnon knew his father. They were, they were pretty, pretty tight for a while. And he ended up, uh, he got exiled for some reason. And he, he spent a good period of time in Macedon himself. And he was, he was in contact with Alexander. So they, they knew each other. So maybe there was some some bad blood because Alexander knew that this fighting force, these Greek mercenaries were led by Memnon and Memnon used to be a friend of his father and now they're, they're button heads. So maybe he was just, you know, he was yeah. just livid at the fact that somebody he used to know is defending the Persians against him sieging or, or invading Persia. So maybe that has something to do with it. And it is important to note that Memnon does get away. He, he's not killed yeah. in this battle. Yeah, and they don't, you know, if you look at the losses, like, of, of the, the amount of soldiers that died in that battle, almost all of them on the Persian side were the Greek mercenaries. Not not a lot of the Persians actually died in the battle. The The Greeks were, were the ones who got killed by the, uh, the Macedonian force. And also, the the numbers that are recorded for Macedonia's loss, losses is they're cl they claimed only, you know, 100, 200, 300 soldiers died in the battle. But once again, like I've said, is that the sources we have for that, they're all in favor of Alexander. So yeah. they could have been way heavier. But they do report that a, a lot were wounded, at least. This is where I have to, yeah, I gotta, like, step back and poke some holes in the story. You know, the claim that Alexander charged in the night across the river. I just, I don't buy it. Yeah. I mean, during this, like, like they're, they're on horses, the cavalry. They don't have stirrups. This is bareback horses. Mm -hmm. like, you're expecting me to believe that they're getting their horses to climb up this muddy bank without falling off? I'm not really sure. And then the, the phalanx coming across the river, holding 16-foot lances, <laughs> wading yeah. across a river and up a muddy bank. And they have very heavy shields, and they're in, like, very heavy armor in itself. So that's, yeah, it's, I mean, the, the, the counter to that is, is that the initial conflict between the Macedonian cavalry unit led by Alexander, it lasted a while before the Falcons actually made it across. And so possibly they could have, it might have been a slow, arduous process while they were streaming across, but they could have they could have done it if, if Alexander's troops held long enough. Like it would have been, I mean, we don't know what the conditions of the river were. Maybe it was, it was very low and they were able to just trot across. But yeah, if it was waist high, you know, and they're trying to get across in a current be a lot more difficult than if it was, you know, a little, a little stream that they were crossing. 
but yeah, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of issues with the historical context and situation. There's there's not many sources that tell about the actual battle itself. Right. Yeah. So I think most of the information we're gleaning this from is from uh, accounts from Plutarch. Yeah. Who was a historian? Uh, you know, four hundred about four hundred years after this battle occurred. And, and he always and the, the interesting thing about his stories is he he pretty much always tells the same narrative of. Parmenian saying safety, Cletus saying safety, defensive strategies, and uh, Alexander saying no, we're gonna go head head first in. We're just gonna bum rush them. That's what pretty much is always the story, right? And I think this goes, yeah. I think there's definitely a lot of this in the historical texts where they're pretty much making Alexander, you know, to be Alexander the Great. You know, this great uh, Macedonian hero is like Achilles, this great war hero. Um, interestingly though, there is one historian, I think he was, uh, he's called Diodorus of Sicily and he was, um, about the same time when Plutarch was alive, he was around there too. And in his account, he actually writes about this battle as well. In his account, he actually says that they camp the night, Alexander's forces, he actually does heed Parmenian's warning. And then early in the morning, they cross the river upstream and then attack the persian forces when they're unprepared just waking up yeah that's that's a lot more uh realistic than having a an army that once again they're heavy they're yeah. heavy infantry so they're carrying a lot they're not just lightly geared with you know sword scabbard some some equipment some you know chain they they're they're pretty they're, they're carrying like you know 50 to 60 pounds of gear including their spears and they're they're been marching for a while. So to say that then they then crossed the river, they then started a battle that lasted hours and were successful when they had the same odds. Yeah. It seems, it seems a little bit, a little bit suspicious or a, a little bit questionable that they would do that. It's, you know, yeah, but I guess in the end, the story of being sensible and having a good tactic opposed to this amazing heroic tale of, charging across a river into the Persians and demolishing them. Which one's better, you know? Yeah. Which one's going to get you more support? Yeah, for sure. And that, that whole concept and characteristic of Alexander is who he is to, to everyone. He's, you know, he's that rash, crazy, reckless guy that was above death, a god in his own right, right? And he was doing something that nobody was able to have done before and he conquers such an insane amount. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot easier to tell a story of, of somebody that has those traits and to always keep that, that uh, opinion of him going throughout all of the, the stories and all of the battles. And it's, it's probably what occurred. They probably be probably mis misinformed what, what really occurred, but we, we don't really know. Yeah. Yeah, and we're definitely going to learn a lot more about um, Alexander the Great and his tendencies and all of that in the coming weeks as we cover more of his campaign into Persia. I think the next battle is where he confronts Darius III on the battlefield, I believe, the, the king of Persia. Yeah, so thanks for listening, guys. Um, if, you know, let us know what you think, how this battle went down, if you, if you have any thoughts on it, please um, reach out to us on social media at... Uh, on our Instagram is at art of war underscore podcast and same thing for Twitter. And thanks you guys. And we'll see you next week. Yeah. And if we, if we missed anything, if we didn't have any, we let, left out some information. We got anything wrong. Just, just let us know. Cause we're just, we're just, you know, we're both really intrigued with 
battles and war and ancient history. So this is just, you know, a fun experience for the two of us and hopefully is for you guys too. Hi, listeners. We hope you're enjoying the podcast. And if you are, make sure to follow us on all of our social medias. You can find our social medias in the description on our Spotify page. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure to check out our sister podcast, Gray Skies. Each week, the host Eliza talks about a different national disaster that happened in recent history. And hopefully we're going to be able to collaborate with her. Yeah, so look forward to that. 